Servus and greetings from Vienna. My name is Anita Posch. Thank you for listening to Bitcoin und Co., my podcast that's introducing the philosophy, ideas and people behind Bitcoin. Hi and hello to all the Bitcoin enthusiasts, fans and also skeptics out there. And of course, hello to you, my dear listener. Maybe you've heard one of my last podcast episodes, the interview with the team Satoshi. Now, the Satoshi Friathlon is history. Uh, we made it. We made 357 kilometers swimming, cycling and running from Switzerland to Munich in Germany to raise positive awareness for Bitcoin. And we even made it into some magazines. And we had great responses from you people out there. And our new challenge is for everybody. It's uh, a smaller one. You can choose how long and what you want to do. You can walk, you can run. It's the run for Hal Finney. Hal Finney was a runner and he ran his last half marathon on the 6th of September. And that's why we do this and we want to honor Hal Finney with this run. Afterwards, I uh, visited Alpbach in Tyrol because I was invited to do a panel moderation on the topic of decentralized and centralized uh, cryptocurrencies or let's say digital currencies. Now that I'm back in Vienna, I'm organizing new podcast guests, new interviews. One of the guests will be Jeremias Kangas. He's the founder of Local Bitcoins and he was also a part of Team Satoshi in the Satoshi Friathlon. And next week I'm going to the Baltic Honey Badger Conference in Riga. And there I also will do new podcast interviews for you. And today I'm happy to announce that I have found a new sponsor for the show. Next to my longtime supporters from Coinfinity and the Card Wallet, made in Austria, I want to introduce you to Shift Crypto Security from Switzerland. If you know that they are wallet manufacturers too, then you might wonder why I have two wallet producers in my show. For me, the Card Wallet and the Bitbox O2 have totally different use cases. The Card Wallet is a cold storage. It's for people who do not want to update or care for any software on their devices and just want to hodl and add Bitcoin to the wallet from time to time. But if you want to hold crypto assets and also do some transactions, you are better off with a hardware wallet. And both are highly secure. I'm excited about my new sponsor. I approached Shift Crypto Security because I feel like we care about the same things. My absolute belief is in independence. This is a value that drives all of Shift's products too. We both believe that everybody should be the holder of their own keys. And a well-built hardware wallet is the safest way to hold your coins. So when Shift announced the Bitbox O2, we made it happen. The Bitbox O2 is Swiss-made, secure and easy to use. It has invisible touch sensors and USB-C. And it also comes as a Bitcoin-only edition. That's something I believe in too. I encourage you to check it out at shiftcrypto.ch. That's shiftcrypto.ch. And you get free shipping with the code ANITA. The Bitbox O2 by Shift Crypto Security. <laughs> 
In this episode, I talk with Max Hillebrand. He is a great supporter of Bitcoin and open source software. Even his grandmother runs a lightning node. We talk about the most common misconceptions about the lightning network. You will find additional information and links that are mentioned in this talk in the episode description on the website bitcoincopodcast.com or in your podcast player. If you like the episode, please share it on social media and subscribe to it in your podcast player. And a reminder, if you want to listen to my German episodes, go to bitcoinundco.com. That's bitcoinundco.com. And now let's start. It's a hot day in Berlin and I'm sitting here with Max Hillebrand, who will do a talk at the Unchained Convention about privacy in the Lightning Network later this week. Max describes himself as an open source entrepreneur and Bitcoin enthusiast. Hi Max, thanks for your time. Well, thank you very much, Anita. I'm really looking forward to this podcast because I enjoyed all the previous episodes very much. Oh, you listened to it? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, thank you. I'm honored. <laughs> Max, what is an open source and entrepreneur? Can you explain that? What are you doing? Yeah, good question. Well, I, I love to work on open source projects that share knowledge uh, and information freely with everyone and that everyone can change source code in the software or can look into the hardware. And I think that is very important to really be in control of your own computing power. Uh, and open source or Libre software is, is the way to go here. And the thing is that I personally can't code, which kind of sucks, and I still have to learn this. Uh, but I can still support open source projects in different ways uh, without directly contributing to the code base. So that is with, with education or with support or with high level decisions or, or roadmaps. Uh, and I try to do this not just with one project, but with as many projects as I can uh, that all focus on Libre open source Bitcoin software and hardware. Okay, but why don't you say then that you're a Bitcoin entrepreneur? Well, that is a good question, um, because most of the projects I work on are Bitcoin. Uh, but I guess I, I enjoy open source in general, and I wouldn't mind working on uh, open source software or hardware that is not Bitcoin. For example, I'm a huge fan of GPG encryption, and that has nothing to do with Bitcoin, right? Yeah, but in a way it has, as we all know. <laughs> yes, yes. So they, they are like sister and brother. Exactly, yeah. pretty yeah. much, yeah. And when did you discover Bitcoin? The first time, when did you hear about it and uh, when uh, did you start getting really invo involved in it? Well, I think I heard it a couple times in 2012, 13 and that time. And I never really got into it. I never really had this click moment. Uh, but then in early 2016, I watched my first video by Andreas Antonopoulos, The Bubble Boy and the Sewer Rat, which... It, which was one of his first videos and talks, but it's to the day his best one. So I, he really pulled me in with this awesome talk. And I spent the whole day just listening to Andreas. And the next day, I bought my first few Satoshis. And ever since then, I could not leave the rabbit hole. Okay. How old were you in 2012? Oh, good question. How old was I then? 16-ish? Uh, oh, okay. So early. Okay. And the story about the sewer rat um, is also in the book, The Internet of Money, The Internet book. des Geldes. Yeah. So, you listeners, you can also read it. Yes. Very good book. 
And what are the reasons why you do you think uh, we need Bitcoin or what are the reasons why you're so enthusiastic about it? Well, uh, Bitcoin is Libra sound money and it is a tool to achieve freedom and to defend yourself against theft and coercion. And um, the monetary good is a very important one in any economy. And when a monetary good is based on, uh, well, immoral things like as fractional reserve or inflation or other things to steal from people, uh, then the entire economy and society somehow falls down uh, the shitter. <laughs> and with, with a Libra sound money, and that could be gold, that could be Bitcoin or in any other uh, tool that we come up with uh, that might help us in this regard. And I think that the far-reaching consequences of sound money that is censorship-resistant, permissionless, and uh, invulnerable to coercion is extremely powerful and liberating. And uh, I enjoy supporting uh, this project uh, because mainly of this reason. Do you think about this, uh, I mean, in the means of like also for us in the Western world or maybe for other countries even more? Oh, um, well, in, in general for everyone, but definitely for for those, uh, let's say, third world countries much more. Because, well, over the last 200 or 100 years, we've lived on a fiat standard that was mainly controlled by Western countries, especially the United States and later than Europe. And this means that we as a society here in, in these Western countries have benefited from the printing of money uh, at the expense of those that receive this newly printed money later, the Cantillon effect. And so I, I think that a, a vast majority of the value transfer that we've seen over the last hundred years from these, these beautiful regions here in, in other parts of the world to the United States empire and, and the European Union uh, is, is very much the, the, a, Well, let's say a, uh, not the cause, but the effect of having such a weak fiat money. Uh, and I do believe that we have partaken in great amount of theft and, and that we have really, uh, have, have not lived peacefully with our neighbors. And that is not good. Uh, so definitely the victims of the uh, US dollar and euro fiat standard, uh, are very much so these, these regions in Africa or, or China. Uh, but in general, Bitcoin is for everyone. So. The theory where that comes from, I think, is the Austrian national economics. Have you studied that or why do you know so much about it? Oh, yes. Economics has, has always been my passion. Um, I, it's kind of embarrassing, but I, I started reading Keynes when I was nine years old. It was general theory of economics uh, because I just started working then and, and hustling and I was like, I need to understand a bit about economics and entrepreneurship. And so, of course, the first thing you Google is the Keynesian main, mainstream stuff. And so I picked up his book and I was like, this does not make any sense whatsoever. So either I'm, I'm not With smart nine. enough. Yeah, either I'm not smart enough to understand this or just the theory is flawed. And so I kept on studying and studying and studying and until eventually a couple of years later, I found uh, Mises and Hayek especially. Uh, and then pretty much at the same time where I got into Bitcoin, I also uh, started reading Rothbard and, and that really helped me a lot with, with uh, yeah. Uh, thinking about all these very uh, non-trivial subjects as, as economics. Uh, but I'm a economist first and foremost. But how did you, I mean, with nine, who that, did anybody guide you? I mean, did you have a gr grandfather or grandmother who was into economics? Or why did you research that with nine? Well, um, my mother supported me greatly with, with the first job, which was uh, just handing out newspapers. Okay. Uh, and, and she really uh, showed me the values of, of having a, a world of providing a service for others and removing problems for others. And that is, that is something very profound and, of course, at the heart of entrepreneurship and economics. And so when I started there, I didn't really know much about how to actually do that and really be productive in the marketplace. And so I, I thought, hey, I, I need to 
read some books on economics. Uh, and it was, it, it really helped me in, in the sense that I, that I more and more understood this. Uh, of course, the Keynesian part, much, much less than the econo Austrian economic side of it. Uh, but it definitely helped me in, in a lot of these ways and mainly out of passion and, and the thrive for knowledge, which I always had. So when then Bitcoin came along. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, did you fall into the classical rabbit hole? Um, I mean, how did you study Bitcoin and what was the first project you were involved? Oh, yeah, the rabbit hole was pretty intense uh, and I'm still caught in it and it doesn't really release its grips. So that it's, it's very well time consuming and energy consuming. And most of my focus and attention in 2000 or ever since 2016 is on this project. Um, to, to start out, I really just was very, very curious about the monetary aspects of this. Um, because again, having this Austrian economics knowledge, even before I was into Bitcoin, I understood the power of a unchanging money supply. Uh, and so I really understood that it was important and I didn't really understand how it was achieved. Uh, and so I got much more involved in the economics and especially the technical side, which is the, the area where I really needed to learn much more. Uh, and so the first project that I'm still continuing is education and just uh, being becoming well, more uh, knowledgeable about all this very important stuff. Uh, and then I wrote a short little paper about how to do project finance with uh, with Bitcoin, uh, because that is more of my background in, in finance as well. Um, and here kind of got carried up in the ICO bubble thing a little bit uh, until I realized that the incentives don't really work out and that there are some, some major flaws with having such a type of funding structure. Uh, and then in after the uh, user-activated soft fork with Segwit and the No2x uh, defense against the hard fork, uh, I really understood that Bitcoin is is something big and very legit. Uh, and that was then where, where I moved completely away from all the shitcoins, first and foremost the fiat shitcoin, uh, to then uh, focus on Bitcoin full-time. Ah, yeah, you, you, you live with Bitcoin only, I've heard. Well, um, yes. I mean, gold, uh, silver and Bitcoin, I think is a good portfolio, mainly silver for small purchases. Uh, and uh, I, I try to use Bitcoin as much as I can. Um, and I mean, mainly I try to hold as many Bitcoin as I can and uh, rather as little fiat as I need to, uh, because holding a currency and not spending it gives it actually its power and its value. And so if you hold fiat currencies, then it's an active support of the fiat system, uh, which I do not think is, is morally righteous. Okay, I think many people don't understand that. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, I understand if you hold fiat, you lose your money. Mm -hmm. uh, but other people would say, but if I hold Bitcoin, then I also lose money because of its high volatility. Uh, but we know that um, actually, if you really would live with Bitcoin, like get some, earn some, pay something with it, then you don't have this high volatility because at the moment you spend it, It's the same. It's the same yeah. time, actually. So exactly, it's the it's the fiat cost average method of of regularly buying. I mean, I'm a big advocate of buying Bitcoin every Monday. Um, <laughs> every, oh, Bitcoin Monday. Yeah, Bitcoin Monday, exactly. <laughs> okay. uh, and and then the thing is, when you so when you buy it regularly, if you still have a fiat income, this reduces the volatility of your entry into the market. And then if you sell it every day for your your groceries and your clothes and and your housing, then uh, this is a exit of the market regularly. And if you have both a uh, regular Entry and regular exit, the volatility is very little actually. Um, and I mean, yes, the, the long term volatility is great, but mostly to the upside, right? Um, and that's, I mean, 
it's 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 doable if you really need to hedge yourself. There are financial tools to do so with derivatives or, or short positions and options. Um, but I personally don't really ever need it to do that. Uh, and I personally value my wealth in Bitcoin. Uh, and well, one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. So in that sense, it's not volatile at all. Mm -hmm. So you're involved in a lot of projects also around the Lightning Network at the moment. You have a deep interest and knowledge about the technical side too, because you recorded videos about Schnorr, Taproot, Multisig and so on. So now let's move from the topic of Bitcoin more to the Lightning Network, although some people say it's the same. I mean, it's actually the same. We agreed to do a Lightning Network FAT Buster episode, <laughs> like uh, FAT stands for Fear, Uncertainty and Doubt or Denial. So now I'm going to throw arguments against Lightning Network at you and you will destroy them. <laughs> <laughs> But before, please tell us, what is the Lightning Network, how is it working, and what is its use case? Yeah, so Lightning Network is a very smart way of uh, transferring the ownership of Bitcoin without touching the parent time chain. Uh, so it's a way of securing unconfirmed transactions, basically. And we do this with the power of something called payment channels, which is a specific, well, Bitcoin script, a quote-unquote smart contract, that defines who can spend these Bitcoin on the time chain again. Uh, and with with this, well, basically, it's a two of two multi-signature, uh, which means it's a, a non-simulated shared ownership of these Bitcoin with someone else. And then collaboratively, uh, we can update who owns how much of these Bitcoin of this UTXO on chain uh, in a way that uh, that is very well uh, cheap, uh, very instant, as fast as we can sign and broadcast transactions. Uh, so this this gives us a lot of speed because we no longer have to tell every full node about this change. It's not on the time chain, right? It's it's a non-published signed transaction. You always say time chain, and you mean blockchain. Well, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto actually never mentioned once the word blockchain. He said uh, in the white paper, a time stamping server. Uh, and in the code, there was actually in a, in a comment, uh, it, it was called a time chain. Uh, so actually in the version 0.1 of Bitcoin, um, there is only time chains. So do you want, is this a way to differentiate the Bitcoin blockchain like from the other blockchains? Yes, I really think so, because somehow blockchain really took off. And I don't know why, because it's just a slow database. Uh, but but then all of a sudden, I think with, with time chains, it, because actually the, the real innovation of, of Bitcoin is not that it makes blocks, is that it actually orders transactions in a provable uh, time uh, following. So we know that one transaction came after the other. And that is extremely powerful. So the innovation is actually uh, to have... Uh, censorship-resistant time, so to say. And and I mean, we could make an entire episode of just what is time and how is it applied in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So I think the innovation was also combining things like game theory, peer-to-peer -peer networks, cryptography, yeah. mining, etc. And, and, and the time chain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, okay, let's start with the Lightning Network FUD. So some people say... The Lightning Network is built for small payments. Therefore, I can never send bigger payments and you have to change to the root layer, to the Bitcoin blockchain and do it with a Bitcoin transaction. 
Yes, that is actually a very good point because there is a fundamental restraint uh, that we in the Lightning Network we route payments throughout different payment channels. And this means if Alice wants to send money to David uh, and Alice has a channel open with Bob and Bob has a channel open with Charlie and Charlie has a channel open with David, then Alice can send a payment or route a payment through all of these payment channels to eventually uh, reach David. But the thing is, if these payment channels are rather small in their capacity, for uh, which is the UTXO on the time chain, this multi-signature, uh, how much value that has. For example, if all these channels have 0.5 Bitcoin value or capacity, but Alice wants to send one Bitcoin through this channel, it's simply impossible because she doesn't have enough Bitcoin. Um, there, So th that is a problem. It, it actually really is. However, I think we can solve this mainly with efficient allocation of the liquidity inside these payment channels. So on which side of the channel is actually the money? I think that will help a lot. And we can do automatic rebalancing and all these fancy stuffs. And also something that is called atomic multi-path payments, which basically means we send one payment from Alice to David. But we send it not throughout one route, uh, through the channels from Alice, Bob, Charlie, David, but maybe also throughout a second round with Alice, uh, Eli, and Murray, then uh, to David, in a way that either both routes succeed and the money is in David's hands, or they both fail and the money remains with Alice. That's the atomic part. And this means we can now leverage the capacity of several payment channels in order to send a payment. Uh, so if, for example, Alice has two channels uh, in this route that have each 0.5 Bitcoin, she can then actually send one Bitcoin by sending half of the Bitcoin through the first route and the other half of the Bitcoin through the second route. But um, will she have to do this manually? Oh, no, hopefully not. I mean, this is this is a tool uh, or this is where we have software as a tool uh, to automate all this. And I really believe that, that we can get this quite seamlessly in the background uh, and uh, it hopefully will, will be a standard. Uh, so if you if you don't, well, if you query first for one uh, route, and if this one route does not have enough capacity, uh, you just add new routes more and more. As, and as soon as you have enough capacity, you send the payment. Uh, so I hope this is done automatically without even the user noticing it. Yeah, because that's also one of the criticisms about Lightning, that it's not so easy. Non-technical people cannot use it because you have to open one channel manually. Then you have to know, uh, you have to fund the liquidity into the channel. Then maybe the liquidity is not high enough uh, to pay something. Um, and many people say that's not usable. But I guess the goal is for all the developers and UX people to develop tools that are very, very easy to use. Exactly. Absolutely. I remember when I first had my first lightning node in uh, December 2017, there was nothing. There was absolutely nothing. There was one implementation by Blockstream that was all command line interface, and it was buggy as hell. It was in nothing worked. And when I then first tried to route a payment, I think it failed 19 times or 20 times. But then eventually it succeeded. Right? But it was all command line. I had no clue what I was doing. It was reckless as hell, but it worked even back then. And as you say, now over the last one and a half years, we have built so many outstanding tools that are very intuitive, very user-friendly already. And we're just getting started. So something like the Zap wallet or the Zeus wallet, which are just really beautiful wallets. I think one of the most beautiful wallet user experiences that we have so far in Bitcoin in general, not just for Lightning Network wallets. Uh, so I, I think we can get there. Absolutely. Uh, and there will be further improvements and further improvements of the UX. And the question is, how fast can we get there? And the cool thing is, uh, you don't need to wait for anyone. If you want to use the software, you can. 
you can do so for for more than a year now. Uh, it's just a question: how much do you want to learn? How how far do you want to get in depth? And if you want to sacrifice your time and attention to really learn this, you can, and then it's possible to use magic internet money. Yeah, but not for the average people, huh? Well, my grandmother has a Lightning Network node. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, yes, like we're, we're getting there. Uh, it's definitely still early and reckless. Yeah. I mean, this is probably still early beta at uh, the best. Yeah, but it needs like like people like you and me and others who do a lot of things and try and develop. So otherwise, um, things won't change. Yep, exactly, exactly. This is this is something that we can work on and that we are working on. Uh, yes, it will take time. Yes, it will take a lot of developers and and UX designers and all this stuff, a lot of teachers. Uh, but we will get there. Mm. We will make it. So, is it possible that I lose my funds in a channel when somebody else closes the channel or something like that? So there are several ways of closing a channel. The best way is the cooperative way, where Alice and Bob both agree to close the channel at the most recent state. Uh, so they publish the last signed transaction that they've made. Uh, and uh, they, they disregard all the previous channel updates and just put on the latest, where it actually shows the correct property rights of both Alice and Bob. Uh, and if, if they do so, then it's a two-of-two multi-signature cooperative close. So everything's peaceful, everyone gets their money really, really quickly. Um, now, there might be a case where, for example, Bob is offline. He's on vacation or his note crashed or something. And Alice is the only one left online. But because she now no longer can route payments through this channel uh, and she wants to get this liquidity elsewhere, uh, she would have to close this channel to then later open it again. Um, and here, this closing requires only Alice's signatures and not Bob's signature. So it's a one of two spend of this multi-sig wallet. And this is only possible after the so-called dispute resolution time. Um, because it, this is now no longer cooperative, right? So Alice might publish a old state, right? That gives her more money and that Bob previously has signed, but since then they've made further transactions. Uh, and if Alice would publish such an old state, then Bob would need, for example, one day or one week or one year worth of time to, to check if this one-sided close is actually legit and if it is with the latest state. Uh, and if this is the case, then Bob will just ignore it and nothing will happen until this one-week time period, for example, and Alice can take the money. But if Alice would close a channel previously or with an, with an old state, then Bob has the opportunity of, of uh, showing to every full node on the network that this is actually theft. And then he can punish Alice by, by taking her money as well. But what if Bob dies? Yeah, that is a good question, right? So if Bob dies and Alice, well, if Alice is not malicious, she will just close the channel to the most recent state, right? But if Alice is malicious, then she can actually publish a old state, right? That gives her more money that she then later would have or has spent. Um, and the thing is, if Bob does not respond within the time period, let's say one week, then yes, Alice can close the, sh the channel with a previous state. And this might lead to Bob actually losing money that he's previously received from Alice. Um, so yes, that is the, that is really that is the case, and I guess that 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 kind of has to be the case because we deal here with unconfirmed transactions, and because they are not confirmed, they are not verified by every full node, right? Uh, and therefore, we really need to make sure that when we eventually close the channel, that then the verification that is done by the full node is actually correct, and every full node here needs to have the support of the two individuals within this channel in order to find out is this actually the most recent state. Because if Bob does not tell full nodes that this is a old state, how should they know? 
I mean, the old state has every valid signature, right? Because it was a valid transaction at that point. It's just been spent in the meantime. So in, in the eyes of full notes, this is a valid transaction. And Bob now has to prove right innocent until proven guilty basically uh, that he that this is theft and that he can prove that easily cryptographically um, but he has to do so mm -hmm. but actually that's like how it is now so if somebody dies somebody else has to go to the bank account and deal with all the stuff so i guess that might be the same in a few years with lightning or bitcoin exactly. bitcoin wallets exactly yes um so for one thing there there are services like watchtowers um, where this, this revoca or the, um, yeah, the punishment transaction, the real proof of what are, what is the actual state, um, that this, this can be outsourced, so to say, to another server, uh, where everything's encrypted and rather private. But then in the case that a old state is updated or published on the time chain, that then the, th uh, the watchtower can actually defend Bob and give him his money back, his rightful money. Uh, and there is a first implementation, as far as I know, in LND version 0.7 that is being worked on right now. Um, but the really major improvement that we will need for this here to make this even better is the so-called L2 protocol, which is a drop-in replacement for just the channel update mechanism. So just how can Alice and Bob update channels? And it's, it's a quite brilliant solution uh, in a way that we no longer need this punishment transactions, but we just need to say this is actually the right state. And it's it's much more efficient. It's it's much more or less technically complicated uh, and size efficient. So this will help, especially for, for example, these watchtower services um, to make sure that even in the case where someone tries to maliciously close the channel uh, to then still like, get everyone the money that he rightfully owns. Okay, another argument is lightning funds cannot be back up. Like you can't have a seed to recover funds. Um, yes and no. In the early days, that was absolutely the case. Uh, I think in version 0.6 of the L&D uh, client, they introduced static channel backups, which is a very tiny file um, with just a well, somewhat secret. And with this file, uh, in the case where you crash your uh, lightning node, for example, or the database gets corrupted, as long as you have your monomic 12 words and your uh, static channel backup, then you can... Um, I think it's a one-sided close uh, of all the payment channels, but with the most recent state. Um, so this means then that you that at least you can close the channels and get your money back. At the current implementation, it's not yet possible to do a backup of your Lightning Network node so that you can import the backup and keep these channels open. That is not yet possible. That is being worked upon. I think we need L2 to make this happen uh, easily. Um, and then... So it's it's still reckless. I mean, this it's not just a random hashtag. This is actually reckless, and people have lost money. Um, thankfully, not I. That was quite glad about that. No such horses lost so far. But it is possible. Mm -hmm. But the static channel backups are at least a, a first step uh, to do this properly, and we can further improve on this. Okay. Then there are more so the the broad arguments, like. Lightning Network is a centralized solution. There will be nodes that are big and route payments. They can control and censor payments like a bank, which is completely against the fundamentals of Bitcoin. 
Well, that would be very much against the fundamentals of Bitcoin, right? Absolutely. If we have censorship, then it's no longer really Bitcoin. It's something else, right? Uh, so the cool thing is with Lightning is that it is actually trustless and censorship resistant. Uh, it just depends on how you use it. Of course, uh, there will be nodes that specialize in the service of routing payments. That's a very specialized niche task, just like mining Bitcoin blocks is a very specialized and niche task. And so I do believe that we will see division of labor where there will emerge some nodes that are, well, tailor-made to routing. And I think we see this with something like BitRefill or like uh, Alex Brosworth's Yalds uh, or maybe a sync. Uh, there are nodes that really route many, many payments and, um, well, you might have a channel to them so that you can send and receive payments through this channel. But, of course, this does not mean that this has to be your only channel, right? Uh, you can have many, many payment channels open. Uh, and you can have some of them open to these, quote-unquote, big routing nodes. And then you can, have, you can have some open to your friends or a local bar that you often go to or some other places. Uh, so the cool thing is with Lightning Network is that you yourself as the end user choose which network topology you want to connect to. So if you want to connect only to these high liquidity routing hubs, then you can do so. And maybe if you only do that, then you can get really short routing distances and very efficient payments. But of course, at the risk that um, these central hubs could shut you down and could close this channel. But of course, you can at any time open a channel with anyone else without asking for permission. So actually, this sounds a little bit like in Bitcoin at the moment. So you can use custodial services like the big exchanges, mm -hmm. or if you want to be really uh, have your own freedom and your own node and your your own uh, Bitcoin, your keys, mm -hmm. then you hold your keys. So it sounds a bit like uh, that if the mainstream or the people of the streets come into Lightning or use Lightning, I guess they will just use a software or a wallet that does this on its own mm -hmm. and they don't have open nodes uh, channels yes exactly the autopilot feature absolutely will come uh, it needs to improve okay, technically this, this is called autopilot feature okay exactly yes so the autopilot selects with some uh, algorithm which nodes are profitable or good to connect to uh, that reduce i think the, the metric is called the network in betweenness so how many hops do you have to take to reach any part of the network i think um, and you can optimize for this it's it's there are different algorithms that do that that's kind of a solved problem in computer science now we just have to apply the solution to lightning and we can and we will um, and then this will take away a lot of the human choice on which channels to open and as you say for the people that want to have this intuitive one-click thing you can say just open 10 channels for in total 0.1 bitcoin and do what do whatever right this could be done right uh, and there are already implementations that do that i think Rene picard has just recently published a autopilot plugin for c lightning um, so this means that you can use these autopilots today But if you don't want to, you don't have to. For example, I don't. Um, all my channels are very private, over Tor, only to known identities that I have their GPG keys and that I've got direct communication to. Very much not a centralized hub. I'm not connected to any of these big routing nodes, but I can still send and re receive payments very easily, very conveniently. So you're actually connected to like your friends no way exactly yes it's and a friendship network <laughs> <laughs> well uh, yeah i really do believe that in a couple of years we can say oh max that is that old friend of mine i have a lightning network channel with him open for five hundred thousand blocks he's a really good guy mm -hmm. right? <laughs> i mean why not it, it could be yeah before we continue a short message from my longtime show supporters at card wallet thank you we'll be back soon do you want to keep your bitcoin safe long term 
The card wallet is the best cold storage solution a retail customer can get. It's easy to use and completely offline. No hassles with updates, passwords or hacks. I gave one to friends as a wedding gift. They are Bitcoin newbies. But with the card wallet, even they can hold Bitcoin securely. And the best thing is, my friends at cardwallet.com made a special offer for all the listeners of my podcast. If you go to www.cardwallet.com forward slash Anita, you'll get 20% off the price. So go to www cardwallet.com forward slash Anita now and buy a card wallet with a 20% discount. So the next thing, uh, the Bitcoin network will not be feasible anymore if all payments are in channels. There will be only the opening and closing, closing transaction on the base layer. So um, the miners won't get any mining fees anymore. Uh, what do you say to that? Well, um, it's always supply and demand, right? And the price that is being paid will depend on the individuals making this transaction. Uh, so I think it's difficult to say that all individuals will just stop paying because then miners won't provide the service, right? And so if people want to have block space and censorship resistant settlement of these uh, Lightning Network channels, then they will be willing to pay. Uh, and then miners will be willing to to invest in mining hardware and, and software. So... Um, I do believe that actually with Lightning Network, we create uh, the value of one single transaction is much more powerful. Then, for example, if you want to buy a coffee and you want to do so on chain, then you will, let's say the coffee is like five bucks. So you're probably not going to pay more than 10 cents, 50 cents maybe for this transaction, right? Um, on the other hand, if you open a Lightning Network channel and you know that this will be open for years to come and that you will be making hundreds, maybe thousands of transactions through this one channel, then you are more willing to pay a higher price for this, right? Because if you have, let's say, a hundred thousand Satoshi channel open uh, and you make many thousands payments across this, well, if you close it, then the fee that you pay is not just for this one coffee transaction, but it's for hundreds of coffee transactions. And so maybe you're willing for this closing transaction to pay much, much more than anyone else would. But if I open a channel now and I find it with, let's say, 100,000 Satoshis and I want to close it in five years uh, and the transaction fee is over 100, then I can't close it. Yeah, that's a good point. What happens then? Well, uh, it would be dust in that sense. We already have that today. So dust is, or well, there are different mm. types of dust, but dust basically means it's a economically infeasible to spend this UTXO. So for example, a average one input, one output transaction, if you pay, let's say, one Satoshi per byte fee, I think is already 120 Satoshis in total for the fee. So if you have, let's say, 100 Satoshis in this UTXO, and you want to spend it, it does not have enough Satoshis in order to pay the miner, right? So you would have to put an additional input into this transaction, right? That maybe has 10,000 Satoshis. And then you have in total 10 or 10,100 Satoshis. And then you could spend this UTXO. But of course, then it, it doesn't really make sense, right? Every time you would spend this UTXO, it would cost you these 120 Satoshis, but it's only 100 Satoshis worth. And there are many of these UTXOs out there uh, and full nodes won't won't relay them anymore and, and save them anymore because they just are inspendable. It's not economically feasible to spend. And that will happen as transaction, the direct payment of transaction fees rise, that will happen with more and more of these UTXOs. 
what would be a clever way to open channels at the moment, like many small channels or, or, mm. and then get, get into the risk of losing them because you can't close them? Yeah, right now we are at this really awkward stage where you want to have a good di a good connection to the network. So you want to open rather many channels. I mean, I guess at least 10 or let's say eight to 10 channels, I think is a good minimum. And then you can go further if you want. Um, and then the question is, how much do you want to put into this wallet, right? Because let's say if you want to have 0.1 Bitcoin, 10 million Satoshis, then you might be able to open, let's say 10 channels with each 1 million Satoshis. That is rather large. That's what, 30 euros for, for every channel open. So still very decent. Um, and then, well, but, but this would mean that currently without these atomic multipath payments, your payments are limited to the amount of the channel 0.01 Bitcoin, right? So this limits the maximum amount you can spend within one transaction currently, right? We have fixes for this. Um, but on the other hand, right, if you only open one channel with 0.1 Bitcoin, a really large one, then you might be able to send many payments, right, or large payments, and you won't have issues with this dust, right, that you can no longer close it, but you only have one connection to the network. And this will decrease your routability and the ability to send and receive um, Bitcoin. So it's a very difficult trade-off here on how many channels to open with whom. And to be honest, I don't really yet have a good solution for this. Hmm. I think at the moment there's also another problem. That's the problem of uh, enough liquidity. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, if you're an event organizer and want people to pay with Lightning, then you have to have a Lightning channel funded with a lot of Satoshis in it. Mm -hmm. um, is this a problem? I mean, that's basically I would need to get money from somewhere to be able to organize an event that people can pay for. Well, you need to get inbound liquidity, which just means you need to have a payment channel where there are Satoshis on the other side, right? Because if there mm -hmm. are Satoshis on the other side, then people can start sending these Satoshis to your side of the channel, which means you receive a payment, right? And there are different ways that you can get the liquidity on the other side of the channel. Um, either, as you said, you, you ask someone to please open a channel to you with all the capacity on their side. And there are many private individuals that do that. And there are many companies that do that. Okay, so they don't have to give me or send me the money. They just have to op open a channel with me, with the liquidity in it. Exactly. Ah, okay. They don't have to give you money, but mm -hmm. they have to commit money mm -hmm. into your channel. And... The, the cool thing is, for them, this might be a service that they provide. Because again, you can charge a routing fee for providing a service. And so, for example, I, I think you know the, the um, Bitcoin rabbi with the Bit Bitville Bitcoin. Or, the book. The, yeah, exactly, right? And so he was selling this book. Uh, and he didn't have enough liquidity on, on the other side. So, for example, Matt Odell from Tales of the Crypt, he has a noddle, and he, one of the biggest in the network, actually. And he connected a channel to the Bitcoin rabbi. And of course, he had to pay the on-chain fees and he had to like, quote unquote, like commit this, this capacity, this liquidity to the Bitcoin rabbi. But because then the Bitcoin rabbi started selling books and books and books, he routed a lot of payments and he could charge a small fee for every of this route. So after like the first couple of weeks, it was actually profitable for Matt Odell to open this channel to the Bitcoin rabbi because the Bitcoin rabbi is a good entrepreneur providing a good service and receiving a lot of uh, well, payments. And then here it was very profitable for Matt Odell actually to open this channel. Mm -hmm. So this is a business model. Yeah. I also heard that it might be the fact that um, those uh, node providers or uh, mm -hmm. yeah, how you call them um, will be needing a banking license or something 
or will be regulated, maybe. Well, we don't know, right? We don't know, yeah. Bureaucrats like to change the rules often. <laughs> and so the thing is, it, it very well could be, but I don't think it would be a smart thing to do because first and foremost, it's non-custodial. Right, if I open a channel to you and it's it has all the capacity on my side, then you have no money at all. Uh, and if you forward it to me, you also don't give me custody custody of the money. Right, if you route a payment through this channel, then you I only get the money if I forward it on. It's atomic. Right, I cannot steal the money, and therefore it's non-custodial. And so far, uh, the bureaucrats have not yet regulated not well, non-custodial individuals holding their own money without anyone's permission. Right, so hopefully they will continue on this peaceful path, but it might very well be that they start censoring uh, and, and aggressing against Lightning Network operators. Now, what do we do about it? Well, run your node behind Tor mm. uh, and open private channels and nobody will know that you have a Lightning node. So the enforceability of such a stupid rule uh, is an entire other question. Um, and I don't think at all that it is enforceable, but this doesn't mean that the bureaucrats won't try. Uh, and I don't think we've seen the, the brute force that they want to apply against against Libra Sound Money. Uh, and I do believe that we will see many, many more regulations, not just for Bitcoin businesses, like exchanges that are heavily regulated already, but more and more for Bitcoin-only businesses, and then more and more also for individuals holding Bitcoin. I mean, we just have to go back, what, 80 years or so, where then ho the holding of gold for private individuals was illegal. I mean, that it's like they do this, and they, I do believe, will do this with Bitcoin as well. Uh, the question is, will we allow it and will we tolerate uh, this aggression? Hmm. That would be another episode, actually. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> so let's stick to the Lightning Network. Um, there's another argument uh, that says you have to be online all the time to send and receive payments. Yes. Yeah, so um, what you need to do when you send or receive or route a payment, uh, technologically it's all the same, basically, then you need to sign a transaction. Uh, and this means that you would have to need the private keys online somewhere uh, and on a machine that can easily sign and then broadcast this transaction to your peers. And this process, of course, is it's an active one, right? So you need to actively agree to both send and receive and route a payment. Um, yes. Is that an issue? Well, you know, I don't, I don't know because more and more all of our devices are connected online all the time. And so I have a lightning node with the async wallet on my phone and it's running in the background and it's just listening. Hey, does someone want to send money to me? And if so, then it automatically opens and it says, Hey, you've received money. And this all works in the background. And my phone is on pretty much 24-7, right? And it's always connected to the internet. So I think more and more we will no longer, like we will be hopefully online 24-7, right? And then this is no longer much of an issue. But of course, it's a huge advantage of having Bitcoin on-chain that you can receive Bitcoin on-chain without even knowing that like that someone wants to send you money. Um, so this is a great advantage of on-chain and, well, just a design of how Lightning Network works on, on the second layer here. Yeah, but uh, at the Lightning Hack Day in Munich, some guys built a offline Lightning ATM machine, and this worked. I mean, uh, yeah. what what have you seen it? Yes, it's a beautiful hack. It's it's beautiful. It's really cool. But here, it's important to notice that there is there there are three devices here. There's one, the phone that is the user, right? Then there, and that is online. Then there, second is a server of the receiver of the merchant operating this ATM. And the server is also online. And then there's a third device, which is this ATM. And only the ATM needs to, or can be offline. Oh, okay, I understand. And completely offline. Yeah, okay. 
And then you use, uh, so you either reveal the hash pre-image, the secret that you get from the receiver when he act, when you actually send money as a proof of payment. You can reveal this to the ATM, and then the ATM knows for sure, okay, this is a secret that my server has generated, and it's a valid one. So now I, the offline ATM knows that the server has received money. Or uh, when then, for example, the user puts in fiat into the ATM, then the ATM will give a regular offline signature um, just with private public keys that he has received the fiat bills. And this signature can then prove to the offline server, uh, sorry, to the online server that the payment has actually been made. And then, for example, the server could send a Lightning Network payment back to the user, right? Who's just given cash to the ATM, gets the signature, he proves the signature to the server, then he gets a Lightning payment on his phone. But for the actual Lightning payment part, uh, they they still need to be offline, online. Sorry. Okay, I understand. Then there's another one uh, that says, "I need to have Bitcoin before I can use Lightning. How should the people in poorer countries be able to participate now?" I would say now. Yeah, g very good question. Um, I mean, of, of course you need Bitcoin, right? You need Bitcoin in order to send Bitcoin. Yeah. That's just how <laughs> things work, right? Um, but maybe, uh, and then the question is, or, well, how much are the costs for, for one, buying Bitcoin and then spending Bitcoin and on chain? And so for buying Bitcoin, this is, of course, the, the main question is liquidity for the trading pair. So for example, if we have, I don't know, the Zimbabwe dollars, right, that hyperinflate or Venezuela pesos, they will have a pretty high margin to get their hands on Bitcoin. They're willing to pay marginally more of their fiat coins in order to get Bitcoin uh, because Bitcoin is much more valuable to them. Uh, and this will mean that in poorer countries where there's less liquidity, unfortunately, most likely, this means that there's a higher spread and that the individuals will need to pay more in order to get Bitcoin. Well, I, as an entrepreneur, then see a great business opportunity for providing this service of exchanging uh, pesos for, for Bitcoin, for example. So that might be a very profitable business that actually solves many problems. Um, so, so that will be the first answer. Um, and then for, for opening a channel, I really do believe that the direct fees for any on-chain transaction will be very high in the future. Um, the total fee including the indirect subsidy, uh, the issuance rate of Bitcoin is already pretty high. And as more and more of this fee will be paid directly and not indirectly, I do believe that it's it's going to be much more expensive. And so assuming that we have, for example, $100 worth um, for direct payments on uh, the chain, I mean, many people are not going to be able to to spend that, right? And then the question is, how can we be more efficient with the usage of block space? Uh, and I think we can do a lot, a lot of improvements. Uh, and maybe it will be enough to only have one on-chain transaction uh, to, for example, fund a, a channel factory that then on a second layer opens hundreds of channels um, completely off or completely not on the chain, completely off-chain and uh, instant and cheap and everything. So there are many tools that we can make it more efficient to use block space, but block space is very rare and very precious. Uh, so I do believe that it will always be expensive, as it already is, but I do believe it will be more expensive in the future. So that's definitely a problem, and we need to build better tools to solve it. Mm. Okay, finally, we come to the last one, at least the last one I have, uh, which is the Lightning Network will be too slow and too complex to grow, and it doesn't scale. 
Well, a Lightning Network is reckless. And the amount of growth that we've seen over the last one and a half years is breathtaking. I mean, it's really insane. Like we add many percentage points on uh, of both capacity and nodes and channels, and we just continue increasing this. So the, the growth so far, even we are in the quote unquote bear market, has been outstanding. Um, so Lightning Network is already here. I mean, we can use it and we can buy stuff with it for a long while now. And again, individuals can use it. Will we ever be at the point where we can have quote unquote mass adoption where hundreds of millions of people every day are being onboarded? Um, well, hopefully soon. Um, hopefully we will be ready for it. Um, but again, I think Bitcoin is, well, of course, Bitcoin is for everyone, but I don't think Bitcoin is designed for the masses. I think really Bitcoin is designed for the individuals that really need this tool. And the individuals that really, really need to get their hands on censorship-resistant money, they are most likely willing to first educate themselves, right? And then second, pay, actually, not just in their time and attention, but also in their in their assets, like, for example, Bitcoin for the transaction fee, in order to use the sound money. Um, again, those that want to use it, it's here. Uh, those that want to wait until we have the perfect one-click solution that does all the magic in the back end, they will need to wait a bit. Uh, and it might be more expensive. It might be, I don't know, there might be other trade-offs for waiting. Um, for example, most of the channels that I've opened, I've opened with a one Satoshi per byte on-chain fee. I mean, that's nothing. Mm -hmm. And they were confirmed pretty quickly. Right? That's a benefit of being early in Bitcoin, of still enjoying here a high subsidy for block space and low usage of block space, so that I then have a pretty well set up Lightning Network node already, which I'm comfortable with keeping open for a long time, uh, that that will then well, help me in times where the on-chain fees are really high and I no longer need to open a channel. Um, so it really depends. If you want to use Bitcoin on Lightning, you can do it today. That also sounds like you don't give too much attention to the FUD. <laughs> well, because, I mean, you say it's for the people who need it and who want to use it. Mm -hmm. And those who want to wait, and maybe those who don't want to wait, they can build their own stuff or use it in the way they want. So sounds also like much freedom in this. And if you don't want to use it, then don't do it. Exactly, right? And if people don't really need it, They are not going to. They are not going to be willing to educate themselves and pay so much, mm. right? And and then this will just be bad user experience, right? Mm. I, I do believe we kind of saw that with with the merchant adoption in the early days, mm -hmm. that everyone wanted to have, like buy everything with Bitcoin, and thus they were pressuring merchants to accept Bitcoin. Um, but I, well, I think we saw that this wasn't much successful because the merchants did not really need Bitcoin, mm. so they didn't really see a reason to educate themselves and pay the high costs. Um, but I mean, in, in Venezuela and Zimbabwe and Greece and all these countries that have tyrannical governments and, and a, a failing fiat system, then they really need it. And they don't care about the on-chain fees. They just need to defend themselves against theft on an immeasurable scale. And they're pretty much any price is worth it. Hmm. So, Max, thank you very much. That was terrific. Have I forgotten any big FUD? Um, good question. Oh, yeah, maybe that, that Lightning Network is an altcoin. Oh yeah, um, right. That that we also hear, we often hear that that Lightning Network is something new on top of Bitcoin, and um, I don't really think so. I well, I mean, the the unit of account that we send throughout the network is still Bitcoin, right? It's not a new currency. It's not backed by anything. It is actually Bitcoin. And on the time chain, we actually have a UTXO, a regular unspent transaction output, a coin, so to say. Um, but every anything or the only thing that changes is that it's not locked up by a single public key. 
where a single signature can actually spend this coin, but it's locked up by a more complex script with a two of two multi-signature and with all these hash time lock contracts and all this stuff. Um, and we, and it's just a more complex way of defining the property rights of Bitcoin, but it's still Bitcoin and we don't change anything here. Yeah. And I think the definition of an altcoin, at least for me, is it's a, let's say, basically a copy of the Bitcoin blockchain software. But the Lightning Network is a second layer protocol. It's it's not the base layer and an altcoin would be the base layer. Or? Exactly. Yeah. Right, right. Um, and I mean, it's anyone who has Bitcoin can open a Lightning Network channel uh, and easily send and receive uh, payments. Now, it's it's a very different means of exchange, right? We have or a different method of payment, so to say. And therefore, a Bitcoin that has this or a UTXO that has this Lightning Network uh, script uh, in on the time chain is a different economic good, right? It's not the same UTXO as a UTXO that only has a single signature or single pub key and a script. Um, and therefore, the UTXOs are absolutely different, right? And the way that we define the property rights and who can spend these Bitcoin how is very different. But the Bitcoin itself in both of these UTXOs is just Bitcoin and they are completely fungible and they're just numbers in the end value field. Mm. So lightning is Bitcoin. Lightning is Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> just a very smart way of sending Bitcoin around. Mm. You're writing a master thesis at the moment, I think. The bachelor thesis. The bachelor yes. thesis. What is it about? Well, uh, it's a rather long title, uh, <laughs> and but I think it really is, a, is, is it explains it quite well. Uh, it's called Non-Simulated Shared Ownership of Scarce Bitcoin in the Lightning Network. Uh, so basically, what is uh, what is scarcity? Uh, scarcity is the binary attribute that a good can only be used for one task at one time by one individual. So for example, if we have a wood log, then either Alice can build a house or Bob can build a boat. It is physically and universally impossible that at the same time, Alice can use the same wood log to build the house and Bob can use the same wood log to build the boat. It's impossible. That is scarcity. Right? And because there is this potential of conflict where when Alice uses, she excludes Bob from the usage, we need to have some form of rule set to define who can use what. And individual property rights are, are one of the of these proposed rules that work really, really well. Um, and therefore, scarcity is the underlying foundation for property rights. And property rights is the underlying foundation for a money. So every money needs to be scarce, right? And of course, all the commodities like gold, silver, all these monies are scarce. If I hold a gold coin or if Alice holds a gold coin, Bob cannot hold it, right? Now, with digital information, this is non-scarce. If I have a PDF document, I can share it with you, but I don't give it up, right? I still have the quote-unquote original PDF document, and I've just sent you a copy. And this is then non-scarce. We don't have this potential conflict because my usage of the PDF document does not exclude your usage, Right, but we can share and both learn from the same knowledge and the, and the same information. So in this sense, we don't need property rights with information because there's no need to allocate these non-scarce resources because anyone who wants them can get them. And that was the fundamental reason why digital money has always failed. That's why we took so, so long to find out how we can create digital money that is scarce like Bitcoin. In Bitcoin, or Bitcoin is scarce, not because of the quantity of Bitcoin in existence, but rather because of the fact that one UTXO is always locked up by one script and one script at a time. And for example, if the UTXO is locked up by Alice's public key, then only Alice's signature can spend the coin. 
and not Bob's signature. So it's, again, exclusive, right? Either Alice controls this Bitcoin or Bob does. And they cannot do it at the same time. So therefore, Bitcoin is scarce. But the cool thing is, and that is the part of my thesis, that because we can have non-scarce uh, prog programs, non-scarce software that is open, that is Libre, to define the property rights. And now we can do multi-signatures, for example, where we need both the signature from Alice and from Bob in order to spend the coin. And this is quite mind-blowing, because in this sense, both Alice and Bob have, have non-simulated shared ownership of this scarce asset. But scarcity is defined as exclusive ownership by one individual, right? So, so all of a sudden, we, it's still scarce, right? The one UTXO is only locked up by this two of two multi-signature, but the two of two multi-signature actually is controlled by both of them. Uh, and that is kind of what I want to uh, find out in my thesis and how we can use multi-signature in Lightning. Okay, sounds very interesting. And I'm looking forward to maybe read it. <laughs> And also to all the things that come next, because I see that many people, very clever people are working on these problems. And um, so you're also an educator. You're making, you're, you're producing a lot of videos on this stuff. Uh, and I guess you have some book recommendations or maybe video recommendations on like how people who want to get involved in lightning, how, how they can do that, uh, what should they read or listen or learn, and also maybe the basics of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, I do the, the videos on the World Crypto Network and focus here mainly on Austrian economics and, and the usage of these Libre open source tools that we have. Um, and then for book recommendations, well, I have my personal website towardsliberty.com and then slash economics gives you a archive of links that link uh, to books and lectures of all the stuff of Austin economics uh, and slash Bitcoin is the say or a similar list with links to all the stuff that I find valuable to share in Bitcoin. Uh, so there is a long section on Lightning Network in there with a bunch of references. Um, and the thing is, Lightning Network is rather new, so it's kind of difficult to to give good recommendations here. I would say the Lightning Network white paper is actually really useful. Um, there's a Lightning Network section or a payment channel section on the Bitcoin wiki, which is also really in-depth. Um, in the newest version of Mastering Bitcoin by Andreas Antonopoulos, there's a section on the Lightning Network, which is really profound. Um, Grokking Bitcoin, that was just recently released by Kale, I think. Did you do a... I just saw, saw it, oh. yeah. Uh, it's, it's a very good book as well. Uh, and it also has some stuff on the Lightning Network. And I would say René Picard, uh, he, is, he is a great YouTube channel that is focused on Lightning. And he's also working on a book about Lightning. So that really helps. Mm -hmm. And then maybe one last one will be the Optech newsletter. Uh, that one is really, really good. Uh, by, uh, written amongst others by David Harding. Uh, and he's a prolific writer and he can explain very technical concepts very uh, well adequately. And the, his newsletter is very good. And there's a lot of knowledge about the Lightning Network in here as well. Um, more on the technical side. Okay, thank you. I will put that in the show notes. And where can our listeners follow your work and you? Uh, well, that would be on Twitter at Hillebrand Max, probably on Telegram uh, as well. I think at Max Hillebrand or Max underscore Hillebrand. Uh, and as I said, the personal website is towardsliberty.com. Uh, and most of the videos are uploaded to the World Crypto Network, uh, which has a huge archive now by, of over 3,000 videos, uh, which, which is quite nice. So really, Bitcoin history is in there. Uh, and it's always a fun to go back many years to see what were people talking about at Bitcoin at that time. Uh, so yeah, uh, follow me there and uh, stay educated. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much for this great 
interview and I'll see you at the Unchained Convention and I guess at other events too. Yes, thank Bye. you very much, Anita. That was very kind for the invitation. A great podcast. I'm looking forward to listening to not just this episode, but all the following episodes that you will produce. Thank you very thank much. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. So thank you for listening. And please remember to check out the Bitbox O2 hardware wallets. Free shipping with the code ANITA at shiftcrypto.ch. Two editions, both Swiss made, including a Bitcoin only. What can I say? I'm a fan. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. What did you think of the interview? Did it bring you greater understanding of Bitcoin and its people? If yes, and if you want to support my show, please subscribe to the podcast in your player, leave some stars and share, 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 share on social media. Feel free to contact me on Twitter, LinkedIn and YouTube or send me a voice message via the link on the episode page. Goodbye from Vienna. Auf Wiederhören. Music. Start with Yes. Delicate Beats. Idea, content and production. Yours truly, Anita Posch. <laughs>